Well, I'll say it again, Happy New Year. Last week it wasn't the New Year, if you recall. Last week it was the old year. New Year's Eve on a Sunday, it doesn't happen that often. A new year, new beginnings. Um, we're starting a new series. It's not just one message on Jonah. It's going to be a series. It'll actually be eight messages on Jonah. We're going to spend eight weeks on it with a little break in the middle. Um, halfway through, we'll have a guest speaker in. And, uh, and we'll spend four. There's four chapters in Jonah. <clears throat> I'm not going to get too far here, but if you want to get a Bible out so that you're ready... Four chapters in Jonah. It's not exactly a half a chapter per message. We're going to be doing sort of a, I would say, a thematic or let's just say the, the major events of Jonah and what happened to Jonah as our, as our series. So there's probably going to be some overlap of the actual scripture readings that are covered. But before I get too far, as Tom said last week, uh, babies come in clumps and we had another baby that was born. Um, this is special. <coughs> Uh, Aaron and Carissa Mooney welcomed, you guys want to stand? Samuel Isaac into the world on Christmas Eve. And Samuel Isaac is the fifth child, the fourth boy, born in their home. Pretty fun story. Go talk to him after the service. I'm sure they'd love to share it with you. Um. We're going to jump into Jonah this morning. That, uh, we, we, we also had a home birth. Our last one was born at home. That was unique. But every birth is unique. Every birth is unique. Um, there's a story behind it. There's an experience that goes along with it. And what I want to start out this morning is talking about the uniqueness of the book of Jonah. Jonah is called a minor prophet. There are minor prophets and there are major prophets. And that doesn't have to do with their importance. It's literally just how long of a book they are. So if you're minor, you're short, relative. And if you're major, you're long. Like Jeremiah and Isaiah are in the 50s and 60s of chapters long. Jonah and his compatriots and the minor prophets are like one, two, three, four, maybe eight chapters long. So that's really what a minor prophet is all about. Jonah, in all the books of the prophets, is sort of unique for this reason. Most books of the prophecy, they have some story in them, especially the longer ones, like Isaiah and Jeremiah in particular. Most of the minor prophets don't have almost any story attached to them. It's sort of like this. God spoke to the prophet Amos and said, quote, or God spoke to Amos and said to this person or that country or this king, and then it goes on, and then that's the end. And then those are the words of the Lord through the prophet Amos. Jonah is not like that. <clears throat> Can I read you the beginning? The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come before me, end quote. And that's it. And now we get to read the story. Jonah's unique because Jonah is all about the story of the prophet and his responses to or lack of responsiveness to God's word coming to him. There are a lot of Bible heroes out there, and they're all flawed. There isn't a Bible hero apart from Jesus that doesn't have major flaws. In fact, they're so flawed, we probably wouldn't even hire them. They wouldn't get through our background check at Cottonwood. Like David, 
and the crimes that he committed, I'm not sure we could in good conscience hire him on staff at our church. Moses was also a murderer. He led the whole country. I don't know if we're allowed to hire murderers. I don't know. Maybe they're really repentant. Now, I mean, I'm not saying the God, one of the stories, one of the beautiful things about the book of Jonah, and I say that in jest just to point out about how flawed they are, because one of the major lessons of this book of the Bible is that God gives, and that's why people like David and Moses and others are heroes in the Bible, is God gives second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And Jonah gets that in the book, which we're going to see. This is the story of a prophet who's an anti-hero. It is not a satisfying ending if you like Hallmark movies. It's not. If they made a movie of this, you'd be like, that's it? Really? He's, at the end, he's still mad? And he's not willing to admit that he's mad for a bad reason? The end. <coughs> Credits roll. Jonah is a picture, if, if we look at it, we're going to read the book a little differently, and I encourage you to read the book. Um, have the book open in front of you if you have one, a copy of the Bible to the book of Jonah, or open up your phone, your Bible app. Um, we'll have a couple of Bible readings. There's one that'll be on our, um, if you're a, a friend of Cottonwood on the Bible app, you, we'll have a, a Bible reading that'll be great. It's just a couple weeks, it won't get through the whole series. But also, if you want to go deeper and sort of learn along with us in Jonah, I've already looked into it in the, the, the online streaming discipleship resource that we have given you all access to or that you can get. It has several studies on Jonah that I'm sure would complement as well. It's interesting. There's a lot of different takes on the book of Jonah. Jonah is a stubborn man. <clears throat> Anybody identify with that? The man part or the stubborn part? They don't always go together. But they do, really. <laughs> um, I do. Israel, I'm going to give you a little background. Here's part of Jonah's story. Uh, he was a prophet during a time in Israel when Israel was doing pretty well. There's ups and downs if you read the story of Israel, God's chosen people in the Old Testament. It's recorded uh, in particular, the time that Jonah was a prophet is in the book of 2 Kings, and it's, I'll, I'll read a quote to you. Here's, here's where Jonah's mentioned elsewhere in the Bible. Jeroboam, this is in 2 Kings uh, 14. I think I have a slide for that. There we go. Jeroboam, son of Jehoahash. We, we know him as Jeroboam II. I'm just going to clarify for those of you who are Bible scholars. There was a Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and he's what, what led to the split of uh, Israel and Judah. This is the second Jeroboam. It just, it's sort of like King George I, King George II. This is King Jeroboam II. He's the second guy named Jeroboam that's a king of Israel, okay? Just to clarify, probably none of you wanted to know that, but I studied how to study the Bible, so I'm going to share some of what I studied. He became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. In general, when you read in the book of Kings or elsewhere, these lists of kings, in general, when they have reigns that are like 20 or 30 or 40 years or more, here's one thing you can know, is probably they were in a time of economic and political peace and prosperity, because otherwise they would have got conquered and kicked out, 
eventually. You don't get four decades of living in war, typically, and you're victorious. So this is a time that's a clue. You can look in other history to realize that this actually did happen. The Israel's enemies, like one of their main enemies, which was Assyria, which Nineveh was the capital of, was in a time of weakness because of infighting within their own country. And Egypt, another one of Israel's enemies, was also in a time of weakness during this season. So Jonah is a prophet in America, friends. Serious. Serious. A time of prosperity and relative. Have we ever been as a country, just to speak of our country, just so that you can connect with Jonah's life, has our country ever, ever really been threatened of being conquered? We've been in wars Has it ever been on our soil? Now, we had the terror war. Was there a threat that we would get conquered during that war? I don't think so, personally. Israel, at this time, didn't have many threats. Now, you know, the history, I'm not going to get too far in the history of our country. I just want to make a connection point that Jonah was in a place where comfort was at an all-time high. There was not threats in his life in his country's life. Things were good. He was the prophet of this very successful king in a very successful country. There was not really a reason to get uncomfortable, which as you'll see is a part of Jonah's story. He's got an idol of comfort, I believe, is what gets revealed in Jonah. Okay, here's where else Jonah's, Jonah's talked about. By the way, you can't tell I'm pretty excited about this series, so I'm going to try to stay on topic and make sure that I can get through my message. Matthew 12 is where Jesus talks about Jonah. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And Jesus answered them, An evil and adulterous nation demands a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish three days and three nights, which is the most famous reason we know about Jonah, So the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented of Jonah's teaching. Nineveh, as you're going to see in this series if you stick around with us, is a crazily wicked city, but repented at Jonah's preaching, which was really bad and super pathetic, as we'll see as well. But they still responded. God's word is powerful no matter how it's presented how good the messenger is at giving it. They repented and look, something greater than Jonah is here, speaking of himself. Jesus is speaking of himself. Jesus believed Jonah was a real person, that the crazy miracle that you're probably wondering or you have wondered, is it possible that a man would get swallowed by a fish, live for three days inside, get puked up and continue living? Isn't that just silly to think about? That has to be just a story. Like, that's nice for the Jesus Storybook Bible, but real life. And I'm just going to contend this, that when it comes to the Christian faith, the miracle upon which, whether you'll accept any other miracles in the Bible hinge, is the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. That is far more improbable than a man getting swallowed by a fish and living three days and getting spit out. Far more probable. So if you're here kind of as a skeptic, thank you for coming as a skeptic and thinking about some things that you might not want to or might not typically think about. Um, I'm not going to, we'll dive into the fish. That's in the next message. 
I'm not going to dive in too far right now, but I'm going to give you an overview of where we're going to head in this series, and then I'm going to focus on Jonah's run from God, which is part one. So this week we're going to talk about Jonah's run from God. This is a story, the story of Jonah is a story of a God who is willing to disrupt your life for your good. That's what happens to Jonah multiple times. He's running from God, and God says, I'm not going to give up on you. In fact, I'm going to disrupt your life so that you'll pay attention to the good, to the grace, to the mercy that I want to show. And God is persistent in that. That's the story of Jonah. We're calling this the prodigal prophet. There's a great book that was originally written titled The Prodigal Prophet. Now it's, uh, it's rewritten as, um, oh my goodness, it's, believe me, re visiting or re-understanding, I can't remember, Jonah, the story of God's mercy. It's written by Tim Keller. It was originally published under the Prodigal Prophet. I like that title, and since he's not publishing his book on it anymore, I'm just going to use it for our sermon series title. Because as Tim Keller and many other writers have noticed, Jonah plays the role of the younger son in the parable of the prodigal son at the first half of the book, and at the end of the book, he plays the role of the elder son in the parable of the, of the lost son. He's standing in judgment over those who have repented and saying, they don't deserve it. Why are you so merciful, God? I'm mad. I won't celebrate. We'll, we'll touch on those themes as we go through as well. In the book of Jonah, we're going to see that sin is us looking away from God. Kind of like Scott shared. It doesn't always have to be I'm running as hard as I can in the opposite direction like Jonah did. But... I'm not really going to pay attention to what you're saying. Or us running away from God. Grace, don't, don't miss this. Us looking away from God or us running away from God, that's sin. Generally. Grace is God looking toward you and running toward you. It's the opposite. And that's what God does to Jonah in this book. <clears throat> Part two is going to be Jonah's discipline next week. I hope you'll come back and learn how in the New Testament says and elsewhere in the scriptures that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. His reason for the opposing the proud isn't to grind them to dust so they learn how powerful he is. It's so that they might respond to his grace. And that's what he does to Jonah. He sends really hard things Jonah's way. Because he wants Jonah to respond to his grace. The lesson of the storm, as we'll see, is going to be that sometimes God allows or sends hard things for our benefit in the end. That we would respond to his grace. What looked like Jonah's death, getting swallowed, thrown over into a crazy raging sea, were as far as an ocean as you can get in any, almost any continent right here, so we don't have a lot of ocean experience in the room, I would guess. Um, I don't know what it's like to be in a raging sea. But then being swallowed by what looked like a, his death, he was thrown into the sea, he was swallowed by a fish, it ended up being God's source of redemption in his life. And that's sometimes how God's storms are in our lives. Jonah prays in the belly of the fish, he hits rock bottom, he is humbled, he actually... He humbles himself. God will bring circumstances into our life that really, if we respond, we say that he humbled me by them. But really what it is, is we don't 
God doesn't humble us. We humble us. We respond to God's action and humble ourselves. God actually can't truly humble us. That's a choice we have to make. Jonah makes that choice. He humbles himself. God listens. God hears. God responds. God shows grace to Jonah again. And that leads us to part four, which is Jonah's second chance. Jonah gets a second chance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah said, I am out of here. And then Jonah gets another chance to do it. Try again, Jonah. Have you guys had one of those chance, one of those chances? Have you had a second chance before? You just blew it with somebody, either with God or maybe someone that you love, and they say, I will give you a second chance. It, it, it can bring you to tears, can it? I, I do not deserve this. Jonah didn't deserve it. God gave it to him anyways. The Bible is full of characters who mostly blow it in big ways, get a second chance, and God in his grace uses them, restores them, redeems them, and even uses them to help restore and redeem other people. It's amazing. So Jonah makes a right choice. He finally goes to preach. He finally obeys God. He finally goes to this city way outside of his comfort zone. As you're going to see, it's almost unbelievably outside of his, how far outside of his comfort zone that he goes to preach in the city and shares a message and people respond. And then Jonah responds and uh, he has a two-year-old toddler tantrum. Except it's an adult version of that, which are usually more violent. <laughs> he is so angry. We're going to look at Jonah's anger. Jonah is the ultimate eldest son. If you've read the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, and you thought that older brother who was so angry that his father was throwing a party because the lost son came back, he wouldn't even go into party, Jonah is that like times a hundred. He is so angry. <clears throat> if you have ever dealt with anger problems, please come to part six. Part seven is Jonah's love for a vine, or really Jonah's love for comfort. God does not stop being gracious to Jonah. Jonah is throwing a fit, hoping that God will change his mind, send down fire, and destroy the city, even though it's not going to happen. He's hoping for the worst for these people, throwing a fit, and God says, you are getting fried, blistering in the sun. I will send you a vine to give you some shade while you throw a fit. And watch me not do what you think I'm going to do. Maybe you'll get the message, Jonah. He doesn't. <clears throat> then God sends a worm to help Jonah again hear what the message really is. The worm kills the vine. His source of comfort goes away. And Jonah never gets it. Your God is different, Jonah, than you claim it to be. You say that you're the, a prophet of the God of heaven and earth. But really, you have an idol of comfort. And you care more about your personal comfort than me or other people. He doesn't learn the lesson. But part eight, praise the Lord for God's response. He rebukes Jonah. And Jonah's God, the God that he claims for himself, the God of heaven and earth, we're going to see in part eight that God loves the world. Even if you don't, like Jonah, sometimes we don't. We don't do a good job like Jonah. We're, we rebel. We're stubborn. We have a hard heart. That doesn't stop God from loving Jonah and us, hard-hearted people, 
And the people we look at who think they don't deserve mercy either, like Jonah did, he loves them all. Think goodness. He delights to bring those who are far away from him, close to him, even those. Just take a second, just pause. I want you to think of someone that you know of. It doesn't have to be your personal friend. It can be an acquaintance. It can be a famous person you know of. Somebody that you've read about in the news. Someone that you think is as far from God as a person can get, or at least headed in that direction. I want you to think of that. Just try to think of someone right now. Who do you know of that's far from God, who is basically doing all the things and seems to be believing all the things that would be opposite of God? God wants to show mercy to that person. Jesus went to the cross to die for that person. He wants them to be with them forever. He wants them to respond to grace. Friends, that's the story of Jonah. I hope you stick around for the series. Here's my sermon and sentence for this morning. You can run from God... But God will continue to pursue you with his lavish grace. You can run, but he'll keep following. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. We're going to look at when grace is at work. Grace is at work when God brings purposeful disruption. God doesn't, he's not the God of chaos. He's the God of order. When he disrupts your life, when he's disrupting Jonah's life, he's not just doing it to say, ha ha ha, watch this, angels. I'm going to really mess with this guy, this girl. No, he's, he's not like that. When he disrupts your life, he does it on purpose for a good purpose. He has good in mind. He's very willing to disrupt our lives. It's New Year. Choice is super busy right now. Everyone's making resolutions to live better, be better, do better, think better, right? We're all in the same boat, okay? Not making fun of anybody. It's actually a really good time to do that. A new year makes you think of new beginnings, new starts. It's a great time to do that. God is willing to disrupt our ruts and our habits and our comfort for our good. And often... God is inviting us into a deeper experience of his grace when disruption, change, and discomfort come our way. That's often his invitation, if we'll respond. If we'll respond, can I say that again? God's often inviting you and I into a deeper understanding of his grace when disruption, change, or discomfort come our way. Whether it's choices we made or other people made. That's oftentimes the case. Not always, but oftentimes. Is God calling you to change anything this morning? Are there habits that you sense God calling you to start or stop? See, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Is the word of the Lord coming to you? Maybe you already know. Maybe you came here this morning, and what God had for you this morning, he already spoke into this morning. All I'm going to do is confirm what God already spoke to you and try to help you, encourage you to pay attention and listen and respond. Is God asking you to get uncomfortable in your walk with him? I, I'm going to contend this. This is going to make some of you uncomfortable. I actually like making people uncomfortable. It's kind of a hobby of mine. I think I have the spiritual gift of annoyance. Had it since I was a little boy. No, that's probably not it. However, um, the gift of prophecy is speaking truth 
into places oftentimes where it needs to be heard and isn't really ready to be heard, which you would read in the other books of the prophecy. Um, I think I might have that gift. But I'm going to say this. If you are not willing to be uncomfortable in your walk with God, you may not be walking with him. Following Jesus requires faith. And faith is not and cannot be totally comfortable all the time. It can't be faith. And you cannot grow, friends. I cannot grow without becoming uncomfortable. Is God asking you, is he trying to disrupt you? A habit, a pattern, a life choice, a mentality. Verse 2. Get up. Here's what God says. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. For evil, their evil has come up before me. Here's another time when grace is at work. When God's word gives clear direction for our lives. That's grace, guys. He did not have to do that. He does not have to give us clear direction. It's kindness of him. It's mercy of him. It's grace working to say, let me give you direction. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Go and do this. And as one of the commentaries, one of my favorites is the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the short quote, Jonah does not have a missionary's attitude. He does not have a missionary's message. And he does not have a missionary's objective. All he's thinking is, I want out of here. God wants us to know him and to follow him. And because he does, it's an act of grace that he gives us clear direction on how to do that. Verse 3. So I just want to make a little comment here. God said, get up, Jonah. Verse 3. Jonah got up. Good job. He did it. He got up. That's the only part he got right, unfortunately. Well, I did it. You said get up, God. I got up to flee to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Grace is at work. Just recognize this, friends. This is grace when God grants the power to respond. That's actually gracious response. Could you put that one up there? God grants the power to respond. He lets us choose. He lets Jonah choose. Jonah runs, but that's grace. I think Jonah forgot David's top 10 hit. Maybe it was on the oldie station during his time. It wasn't like on the station he listened to, but Psalm 139 would have been a top 10 hit. He would have known that one as God's prophet. You guys know what it says in Psalm 139, right? You know that song? Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence if I take the wings of the morning and dwell, get this, in the uttermost parts of the sea? Jonah's going to get familiar with that pretty soon. Literally, it's the end of the sea, not necessarily the depth, but the end of the sea. How can I get away from you? Jonah knew that. He probably had it memorized. When it says that Jonah fled from the Lord's presence, you know what it literally is? Jonah fled from the face of God. Jonah's, he, God was looking at Jonah, and 
Jonah said, I do not want eye contact with you. <laughs> I do not. I can't handle it. I have to go. I have to turn away. So it's really Jonah's turning his face away from God's face. That's really what he was doing. How far away from I get? So he goes, um, he fled from the presence of the Lord. And uh, he knew, you're going to hear later, he says, my God is the God of heaven and earth. He, was, he knew that God's present everywhere. He didn't think it was going to get away from God's physical or spatial presence. He was getting away from God's relational presence. I'm turning away from your face. And friends, you don't have to go to Tarshish to do that. You can be living your everyday life, and you can just turn your face away from God as he's trying to turn his face toward you. you you've probably done it. I actually, I'm sure you've all done it. I've done it more than once. Jonah did it. In uh, the family I grew up in, the Schultz family, um, my extended family, is I've passed this on to some of my kids. Probably they're not as bad as me, but I am a professional interrupter. I'm really good at it. Super rude, isn't it? You guys really want to talk to me after church, I bet, because he's going to interrupt me. Interrupting, um, I have thought of it as sort of like, yeah, it's a bad habit. I should stop. I need to learn how to do the, be a better listener. And I've read books and I've taken courses on listening. I think I've made a little bit of progress and being a better listener and not interrupting and being attentive and trying to focus on what people are saying. But you know what interrupting really is? It's just saying uh, what my thoughts are, what I have to say or what I think is more important than you. Actually, that's what I've been convicted of recently. It's not just more important than what you say, because what you say is a reflection of you. It's what I have to say is more important than you. Man, I'm selfish. I am so prideful. Jonah, let me just say it this way. Jonah chose to say, God, I don't want your face to interrupt my life. So I'm going to turn away. And uh, you can, uh, God is doing this graciously. You can either give your attention to God and his word, or you can do like what Jonah did, and you can flee from God's presence and say, I'm not going to let you interrupt my life. I'm not going to let you. Sometimes you need to interrupt, right? You're in a conversation, and, uh, or you're in a meeting, this will happen sometimes, and somebody's going on and on and on, and their point has been made, and you're the leader of the meeting, and you have to just strategically, I'm sorry, I need to interrupt and get to the next point. Thank you for sharing. That's kind of what God's doing. He's graciously saying, Jonah, I know you have a plan for your life. I know you have things that you want to do, but I'm sorry. I need to just pause this a minute, and I need to give you something better that's going to be more productive for you. Did you know that there is always a Joppa calling for you. Joppa's the town, the port that Jonah went to to get out of here, to turn away from God. What's your port of escape? Do you know what they are? Do you know what your Joppa is? How do you escape when things are overwhelming? When you have maybe some sense of, you you just don't want to, you don't, some sense that God's leading you or calling you. How do you avoid it? Are you avoiding a decision that God's calling you to make? Are you ignoring a sense of God's leading you to take a step of faith? Maybe are you stuffing the hurt and anger that you have in a relationship rather than bringing it to God and asking him what to do about it? 
Here's one that I resonate with. Are you satisfied with your own self-sufficiency? God, I, thanks for the input. I think I got a good handle on my life. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Settling into comfort. Maybe this. Are you depending on your morality, the goodness of your life? I'm a pretty good person. Or your religiosity? I'm pretty religious, or I do the, all the right things. I read my Bible, I go to church, I, I, I attend a home group, I'm involved in serving to have a sense of what you really need to be right with God. Or maybe you're just numbing out. I, I don't really want to listen to what God's saying. I'd rather just be numb with something that you watch, something that you eat, some activity that you enjoy. Because um, that feels good, and listening to God makes me uncomfortable. What's your joppa? There's always one waiting to receive you, to your, your sense of escape. Verse 3, the second half of verse 3. Here's what Jonah does. He paid the fare. You always pay the fare when you escape, right? You know that. Have you learned that lesson? When you choose to not listen and choose to go the escapist way of like, I'm not going to listen. I'm just going to try to do something to make me not feel so uncomfortable. You always pay. Jonah paid. He paid the fare and he went down into it, the ship, to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And again, that is literally from the face of God. I want to get away from God's face. I know he's everywhere. This is so beautiful. Thankfully, this, isn't the, this could be the end of the book, guys. Three verses. But it's not. That's why Jonah's fabulous. This book is fabulous. My last point is really just because there's the rest of the book. Here it is. Grace is at work when God continues to pursue us. Even when we run. God keeps chasing down Jonah. It's not the end of the story. This is just the very tippy tip of the beginning. But to make a comment, Tarshish, we don't really know where that is. People think it might be in southern Spain. It could be, it could be, it could have been, a, but we know that Tarshish existed because there were mentions of the ships or merchants of Tarshish. So it probably was on the ocean or the Mediterranean Sea somewhere. But it probably went something like this. Jonah goes down to Joppa. You've probably done something like this. I've done something like this. I don't, God wants me to do something. I don't really know what to do here, but... Um, what do you got tickets for? I don't know. Where do you want to go? How far away can I get? I'll take a ticket to that. Kind of like we would say, I'm going to Timbuktu. Anyone know what country Timbuktu is in? Anybody? Is it Africa? I have no clue, by the way. I didn't look it up. I was hoping somebody would know. I don't know. We don't even know. It's an expression. Maybe it's Africa. Someone will have to Google it and tell me after the church. But Timbuktu is like, it's, I don't know where it is, but it's about as far away in an unknown foreign place as I can get. Jonah might have been going to Timbuktu. Just give me a ticket to Timbuktu, however long. I just want out of here. I'll just keep going as far, far as I can go. God doesn't stop pursuing Jonah. As some of you know, I have an, a, a farm dog that is in a love-hate relationship with all the other residents of our farm. The chickens, the cats, the people. There's, there's, she's actually, she's mostly German shepherd, and she actually does the shepherd job well. Like in the summer, if Andre's out working in the garden, she will just come and sit now that she's not a crazy, like, hyped up, can't control myself toddler puppy. Now that she's past that stage, she'll actually sit there and just watch over. 
Andrea and the kids or me, or she'll sit sometimes near the chickens. And I don't like it when she sits too close to the chickens. They're not free range anymore, by the way. It's been a long time since that, but she'll kind of watch over. And she watches over the yard, and if something runs through the yard, whether it's a cat or a rabbit or a UPS truck, like, she lets us know. Thankful for that. That's actually why we got her. But we have more barn cats than we need right now, and uh, they're all over. And uh, the cats have figured out how to get along with Annie when they're close. But when Annie's here and a cat comes behind a tree over there, her ears go up. And all of a sudden it's like a race. And that cat better get up a tree. It's not going to die. Annie doesn't kill him. But she might, you know, slobber him up a little bit. And if they're not up for that, they're out of there. Annie loves to chase anything that moves. Cat, rabbit, squirrel. Uh, she doesn't chase little kids anymore. Thankfully, that was driving us crazy. <clears throat> There's a poem that was written many years ago called The Hound of Heaven by Francis Thompson. I don't have time to read it. But it's a picture of God. Now, God does not have the character of Annie the farm dog. Thank goodness. Can I read you what God's character is out of Exodus? The one time where he most clearly describes what he's like. He says it to Moses. Exodus 34, 5 through 6. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. This is what God is like, friends. This is who's chasing Jonah. This is who's chasing you. I am slow to anger. And I am filled with unfailing love and for faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, and I do not excuse, but I do not excuse the guilty, which is what the cross is all about. There had to be payment for sin. There always has to be. As we're going to see, Jonah deeply needs a radical experience of this gracious God. And I think we do too. I know I do. You, you, you don't outgrow that, by the way, right? Have you had one of these? I just got deeply impacted by God's grace, reading a book, listening to a sermon, praying, reading the Bible, whatever. You don't stop needing those. Jonah was a prophet. He knew the word inside and out. He needed to. We don't stop needing it. Here's my sermon in a sentence. We're going to, worship team, if you want to come on up. We're going to sing a song um, to close our service this morning. But I want you to hang on to this. This is a hopeful message of Jonah. We can run from God. We can. Even that choice is an act of grace. But in his lavish grace, God will continue to pursue us. Continue to pursue us. Uh, my farm dog, Annie, doesn't give up till she can't stop chasing that cat anymore because it's up a tree or she catches it or it goes into a building or it escapes somewhere. That dog doesn't have always the best intentions towards whatever she's chasing, but Exodus 34 tells us that God, the God who's pursuing us, always has good intentions toward us. He's never failing in his love. Will you stand for closing prayer and we'll sing to him? Lord God, thank you for being the God of grace. Thanks for being the God of Jonah. Thanks for putting Jonah in the Bible. 
that prophet, he's a rascal. He doesn't do the right thing almost throughout the book, a little bit here and there. But you, God, the picture of you chasing your prophet who should know better but doesn't. We're kind of, I'm like that. I should know better. Sometimes I don't. Thank you for giving us this precious picture of what you're like, Lord, in this book. I pray that as we start this series that you would give us a deeper picture of your grace. This morning I pray if anyone here is running from God in big ways or small ways, that they would stop turning their face away from your face and just pause and just look over their shoulder that they might see your face shining on them full of grace and faithfulness. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.